The Lord be with you. Maybe you're starting to plan your holiday for later on in the year, and your idea of a really nice time would be some days relaxing and maybe having a snooze on a beach somewhere with a, a cold drink, a, an umbrella, maybe a book. The kids are, are sand castling. That sounds pretty good, right? But I've been obsessed lately with a different way of hanging out on a beach. And that's thanks to videos I've been watching on the internet of people who breathlessly chase after seals and capture them on the seashore. Honestly, that might be my dream holiday, if anyone knows how to make that a reality for me someday. (laughs) I really want to go. It goes like this. It usually takes a team of two or three people to chase down a seal. When they finally catch it, they have to pin the animal down as it groans and, and growls and struggles and complains. It's actually kind of tricky to catch them, even though sea mammals are graceless and clumsy on land. Even those little guys put up a really good fight. And then as quickly and carefully as you can, the seal chasers pull out a variety of of knives and scissors and cutting tools, and then they set to work on the animal. For a few tense moments, communicating as a team, they sort out the best way to free that tortured animal from a length of cord, a nylon fishing line. There's netting or strapping or sometimes some bizarre and uncanny out-of-place pieces of garbage like the sleeve from a coat or a t-shirt tangled with nylon packing straps and a raft of plastic debris. It's a dicey bit of business because sometimes the netting or the line is bound so tight To the animal's skin, there's hardly any space to fit a cutting tool. Sometimes there's even a ghastly fishing hook to contend with. But with patience and care and a firm grip, those anxious efforts pay off. And the animal is cut free and released from the drag of those agonizing knots and ropes and all that debris And usually the seals just bolt straight away, making for the sea so they can catch up with all their seal friends on the surf. It's free and easy at last. Can you imagine the relief for those seals? But every now and then in those videos, the liberated seal sits for a few grateful moments with their human saviors. They pet them. They talk to them, the seal kind of looks back, and then they trot off to join all their friends in the surf. And we can't know a seal's thoughts, but I would like to think that they want to acknowledge for a moment the gift they've been given by these gangly, breathy land mammals with their tools. Of course, for the whole video, I'm rooting for that seal. Just be okay, little buddy. That line's going to be cut in no time. Lickety split, and you'll be back with your herd. 
I want to be Team Seal. Go Seals! Buy me the jersey and the hat and the pendant and the poster and the sticker for my car. But it's not that simple. Because even when I'm watching those videos, a part of me knows that it was, would be way more accurate to say that I am really team people. To the core. That's my fishing line. Those are my hooks and nets. And all that plastic garbage is a byproduct of the t-shirt producing species called humans. And that is my team. Those videos are heartwarming, but they are heartbreaking. This effort that the seal chasers carry out is beautiful, but it is a sign of something terrible. God bless the seals who struggle on littered shores in polluted waters, and God bless those seal chasers. We're here in Acts today, Acts chapter 21, and for some of the chapters now, the Paul story has been a growing tension. The apostle has made so many friends on these journeys over land and over sea, but he's also suffered horribly at the hands of cruel tormentors. He's been leading a whole new countercultural movement, and that's dangerous business. The forces of politics and commerce take notice. Powerful religious people shore up their defenses. And they guard their territory. And Paul is tangled up in it all. He's weighed down by the mess, and there's no shaking or cutting this off. At first glance, today's reading, uh, those first six verses from Acts 21, feel like uh, somebody read off a little bit of Paul's itinerary. It's an unremarkable description of a detail or two that maybe just could have been cut out in editing. Why are we reading that this week? It helps, though, if we track back and look at the previous chapter. We see that this short little account shows us some of the complexity and the ambiguity and the strangeness of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. If you track just a few verses back, we're told that Paul was really, really excited to get back to Jerusalem so he could be there in time for Pentecost. And of course, Pentecost in Jerusalem, one of the great festivals, the brimming city would be decorated, celebrating, electric, and alive. And it was all the more meaningful Since Pentecost marked the beginning of this entire project all the way back in Acts chapter 2, this was the beginning of the work that Paul had given his whole life to. The thing is, the path to Jerusalem was heavy with dread. And there was a growing, ominous realization that things would not go well for Paul in Jerusalem. You can almost hear Jesus' words from the Gospels. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? In chapter 20, Paul tells us, as a captive 
to the Spirit. I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. After his sermon, Paul's dear friends begged him to reconsider. They wept him, they wept with him, and they kissed him, and they held on to him, struggling to hold him so they might maybe cut him free. This is heartwarming and heartbreaking. These friends who ask him not to go, even as they walk with him down the dock and kneel with him on the beach with their families and go to the ship that would carry him away from them forever, probably. At every stop along the journey, Paul took time for a few grateful days with his friends, acknowledging the gift that they had been to him. And still, these anxious companions would repeat their woeful refrain. And here, again, in today's text, snuck into that itinerary in Acts 21, there's one more stop. And this time the text says, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Don't do this, Paul! The Spirit cries out with the people. <clears throat> Hold on. The, through, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Didn't the Spirit push him towards the Jerusalem this whole time? What gives? The same Spirit that pulls him towards the dangerous city also shouts at him not to go. How can the Holy Spirit be of two minds? about a situation. Is this a contradiction in the text that your Sunday school teacher never told you about? Is this a glitch in the Holy Spirit network of Christian discernment and understanding? Or is this a hint for us, a reminder that the Holy Spirit moves in the life of the church in all the mess and disorder of creation? The Spirit is there in the thick of it. All the rawness, the sometimes senseless waste, suffering. The Spirit moves with mystery and with often really difficult purpose. Can it be that two groups of faithful and sincere believers might well be directed by the same Spirit and even arrive at very different conclusions? It's a hard question. Of course, every church and every denomination is sure that they were the ones that listened best to the Spirit, after all. What does this mean for our meetings? Those times of discernment and decision-making, the times we've gathered, assemblies that we have earnestly opened by committing the time to the Spirit's guidance. How can we carry out the process of discerning the Spirit together if this is how the Spirit works? Now, I don't have a perfect answer, but I think that part of the answer is that the Spirit is not a tool that we use. The Spirit is not a force that we harness. 
The Spirit is the living and active agent of purpose in the world, the life of creation, vital and free, observing and witnessing, enlivening, participating in the redemption of the human race and all creation. The same Spirit who celebrates and inspires and strengthens and encourages is the one who grieves and struggles and mourns with frustrated creatures who inhabit this entire earth. The Spirit growls and groans and snaps its jaws with a seal as it struggles to be free from a tangled fisherman's line. Even still, the Spirit loves and abides with the mad creatures who love seals almost as much as they love sushi and plastic sand pails and nylon beach umbrellas. We are such conflicted creatures. It has always been complicated. We have always been complicated. And the Spirit is there in the midst of it. With sincere people and even casually involved people, conflicted communities, folks who disagree profoundly. I would actually go so far as to say that I think that maybe the best expressions of spirit-filled, spirit-led communities of faith is the marking of their ability to hold these ambiguities and these disagreements. With all their troubles and struggles and their tears, people who disagree and yet take pains to hold one another dearly. And I'll say it. You're feeling it. There's nothing, nothing easy about any part of this effort. I don't have any tricks, and there's not a three easy steps for life together that I have to share for you. The working out of our common life is challenging. It asks us to participate in hard conversations and awkward and painful situations. It asks us to live out the giving and receiving of forgiveness over and over again. Ugh. Sometimes we hold on to one another firmly, cutting lines and removing hooks, even as we feel the hands of our brothers and sisters as they hold us and take care not to hurt us. This shared life asks us to find places of vulnerability that we didn't even know we could share. This is daunting. And yet, through the struggle and mess of it all, the Spirit calls to us, lives with us, gathers us as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Thanks be to God.